Will you turn with, your, with me, please, in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4? Praise God. Philippians chapter 4. This is a short letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. I'm not used to this now without crying kids, and it's so different. It's weird. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, and his goal is to help them see the centrality of Christ and to follow Christ's example and save them from bad teachings. And in doing so, he gives uh, a lot of pearls of wisdom, if you will. And so as we read Philippians, we, we see a lot of verses that are often printed on T-shirts. And so uh, it's fun to read Philippians and see the context of all those and how those are actually given to us. As we start in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is wrapping up the letter. And as he's wrapping up the letter, he's giving some final reminders to the people. And I always like to look at the final reminders because, uh, remember, Paul is in prison at this point as he's writing this letter. And so the last things he says are, I mean, everything he says is important. But the last things that are coming to his mind are not always just final remembrances that he's forgotten. They're things that he wants to make sure that the people understand because you've got to get that last word in. Um, did you know in court that a dying person's final words are admissible as absolute truth? Because people don't die on their deathbed or don't lie dying on their deathbed. They uh, often tell that last moment of truth and it's admissible in court because it's universally known that people, it's, it's almost impossible to let the last breath be not the truth. So here's Paul and in that last breath, and he's not dying at this point, he's just in prison, he'll eventually will be martyred. Uh, but he's giving truths to us. And I find it how interesting these truths are so different than truths you can find on the internet. Um, I was with a group of people not long ago, actually a long time ago now, because I have no concept of time. And, uh, and we were talking together, and, and these were professional kind of guys. And I had asked a question, which is a question I like to ask when I'm around professional people, uh, of if you have a particular issue that you're trying to investigate or figure out about, like for instance, uh, if you want to know about uh, what trees to plant in your yard, how do you find out about that? And so inevitably, people start sending me email stuff and, and uh, web links, and you can check this out, and you know, here's, the, here's a great arborist website, and you can see what things are by your region, even you know, down to the exact area you are for your soil type, and you can do this test to find out your soil type and all these kind of things. In all my times of asking that question, I have not yet ever had anybody just come over. I've never had anybody just say, hey, I have a friend. Let me call him. We'll come by. Let me check your soil for you. I want to, let me see. And looking at those questions, I've always had people go directly to the source of information, which today for us is the internet, and Google and Siri and all that kind of stuff, to find out information. And very rarely do they actually go to people. So if I want to know about what tree to plant, the first person I'm going to call is Steve McFarland. Because he's got, he's got knowledge in that area. He's done that for a long time. If he himself doesn't specifically know, he's going to know somebody who knows. And so I can spend 10 hours on the internet trying to find things out, or I can call Steve. If I want to know what kind of car to purchase, because I'm curious about it, I'm going to call With Lemon. Because he literally is an encyclopedia of cars. He'll tell you everything you want to know. He can tell you whether it's a good buy or a bad buy. 
And I can go to the websites that he's even created and look at them, or I can call the source and say, help me with this process. We don't really like doing that a lot these days, though. And I think that we don't like doing that because those people tend to call us back later and see how it's going. You know, Steve wants to know, what kind of, what kind of tree did you plant? After I gave you all that information, I spent my time, I helped you, we did the soil test. What did you end up going with? What, you know, do you need to help you more? What's going on? Or Within wants to know, hey, how's that car working out? What's, what's going on with it? Which one did you, did you go with, the blue one or the red one? Or you know, Surely you didn't buy that other brand. I told you not to. <laughs> Whatever. And there's that kind of gut check of accountability that comes up of people who follow up. And we don't really like that sometimes nowadays in our culture. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He's telling the people that they should be in unity. He's entreating certain women who are fighting to not fight. And then in chapter 4, verse 4 of Philippians, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord for his word. Can you see the t-shirt as we're reading that verse? It's such a famous verse, right? Isn't it interesting, though, how verse 6 and 7 often get taken out of context of what Paul is talking about? So we often hear the, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and then he'll have this peace that's going to surpass your understanding. We often hear that and see that on the t-shirts. But we don't often hear, rejoice in the Lord always, Again, I say rejoice and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul writes this knowing that he's in prison. He may die for his faith. He may not be much longer in this world. And yet he's still saying rejoice in the Lord always, knowing that he's rejoicing in a situation where he has no freedom. He has no natural hope of being released or being okay other than trusting in God. And yet he in himself is rejoicing in all things because he knows that the day of the Lord is at hand, that Christ is soon to return, that the Lord is seated on the throne, that he's coming again. And this reality of this future hope that Paul has drives him to rejoice knowing the grander things that God is doing. That he hasn't just forgotten the bigger plan. He hasn't just pushed us away into bad situations or forgotten us there. But God is moving forward and he is returning. And within that hope now, Paul is saying rejoice in all things. Then in that context, he says, don't be anxious, but pray, make your request known to God and let his peace overshadow you. Could you imagine saying that though from prison? Saying that from prison where he's rejoicing because all of the imperial guard by this point knows that he is imprisoned for the sake of Christ, knows his testimony, and more than that, knows the gospel of God. In fact, he has gone on to say that other people are still trying to harm him even while he's in prison, and that there are some who are trying to steal away works that he has done or things that he's built or churches that he's built, and these people are preaching not out of a heart for Christ but out of selfish gain. And yet, he says, in all these things I rejoice, because the gospel is being preached, whether it's for selfish gain or whether it's for good motives. And in that context, he says, let's rejoice. In that context, too, he says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. 
You know, I think about that sometimes of being in prison and talking to these guards that are guarding you. And, and having been to prisons, unfortunately, and, and worked in them sometimes and things, uh, people say some weird stuff. And you can imagine what different prisoners might be saying or trying to proclaim their innocence and all these kind of things. But Paul instead is proclaiming the very word of God so that the people would understand his hope is in Jesus Christ. And in that, all the imperial guard has now been, been uh, made to understand the gospel and know why Paul is in there. Paul is not raving around and yelling and acting silly. He's clear, he's reasonable in what he says, and he's reasonable in how he does things even as a prisoner. You know, uh, we talked a lot, Jerry and I and, and the staff, we talked a lot about these masks and things that we're doing. Um, I don't particularly like wearing a mask, mostly because two, two reasons. First, if I wear a regular, like, medical mask, my beard just flares out crazy. Um, that is no good. Just doesn't work well. Um, secondly is, is, you know, I have some of the other kind of masks, and they're a little bit bigger and things, and uh, I've noticed that if I have my children with me, I can't see anything beyond this radius, and so I can't actually tell where the kids are. You know, so sometimes I'm walking, and I'm looking kind of funny, like, where did you go, child? You know, it's not, it's not great. It makes me look silly. Having said that, what a distraction. What a distraction from the reasonableness of the gospel are Christians who are arguing about whether or not to wear masks. Does it help our testimony? and the reasonableness of who we are in proclaiming Christ, that our main arguments would be about whether or not we're going to wear masks in public. It doesn't help anything, does it? Now, if we're talking about freedom or politics or whatever, all those kind of things, those are great discussions to have. But if we're starting from a position where we are showing an unreasonable factor, where we will not bend the knee on something as simple as this, how can we expect people to really listen to us? Especially if they're coming from a, a, a situation where they may be totally steeped in the doctrine of the day. The imperial guards that Paul is speaking to are sold out. Sold out completely. They are believing it 100% of the, uh, of the empire's burden. They belong to the emperor for everything that he's doing. They belong to Caesar. They have given their lives and sacrifice their time, their energy, their blood, their effort to build an empire in Rome. And now Paul is explaining to them the rule of the risen Lord Jesus Christ who is over all of them and even over Caesar. What a worldview change. What a worldview change. Can he start from a position of being unreasonable about things as a prisoner? Or does he start from a position where he can actually explain the word of God to them? This is interesting. Why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because if you Google, where is the line on which I can't stop? Up to what point can I go and then I can go no further? When do I have to take a stand? If you Google that, you're going to find some crazy answers. Crazy answers. Because everybody has an opinion about everything. Some things that are very important in our world and things that we need to engage in and other things that are very trivial in the terms of, of history. But if we rest on the word of God, we know that we have to make a stand for Jesus Christ. And in doing so, as we make a stand for him, we have to start from a position of being reasonable in how we discuss things with people and how we approach them. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because the government of California made an edict over the weekend that there should be no singing in church. 
not only wear masks, not only social distance, all those things, but you're not allowed to sing because of the transmission of this disease, even if you're wearing a mask. But the Bible tells us that we should, we should come before him with singing. The Bible tells us that God had ordained singing. The Bible gives us the Psalms as the hymn book of the Old Testament Israelite people that we can come before God with singing and praise and that it's right for us to jubilate and to express joy in all that God has done and singing is a right response. Is it okay for us then to say, oh, we need to stop and we can't do any of those things? Of course not. Of course not. Because where does our standard of reasonableness come from? Does it come from a political affiliation or what Siri tells us or Alexa tells us? Of course not. It comes from the Word of God. And when we stand on the Word of God, it helps us to see with wisdom how we should move forward. And what does Paul tell us? He tells us, don't be anxious about, everything, about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what will happen is that the peace of God will come over us. Listen to what Paul says in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Praise the Lord. God has called us to be peacemakers. And there's a danger for us now to jump online and to be um, warriors for God online in a community that doesn't even know us and which thinks already that Christians are unreasonable for a lot of things. Where is the line in which we can't go further? Where do we take a stand? The answer is we take a stand on the word of God, knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for us, he rose again, he changed us, he made us his own people, and now that is our proclamation. And so standing for him, we worship the way he is prescribed. Standing for him, we love people the way he is prescribed. Standing for him, we submit the way he has prescribed. Standing for him, we do what God has commanded us to do. And in that, we show our reasonableness before people. Uh, my brother David used to live in an apartment complex a long time ago after he first got married. And, uh, and he was a, a great neighbor, I would imagine. So I'm, I'm a little bit biased against my brother, but I would imagine he's a fantastic neighbor. And uh, one day he got a knock on his door and one of his neighbors was standing there and uh, his neighbor was in total crisis. And he was trying to console him and find out what was going on. And it turned out that the brothers, the neighbor had a brother and the brother had just died from a drug overdose. Uh, unexpectedly a young man and he was beside himself. And he was trying, fumbling with, for the words to ask David if he could do the funeral because he knew that David was some kind of church person or pastor or something. And so David is consoling him. Uh, David eventually did do the funeral and went and met with the family and helped and stood with them. And no one in the family, not one person, had any link to any church anywhere. So much so that this neighbor, who only just knew David for a short time, was coming and asking for pastoral care from a guy that he barely knew, really, because they had nobody. And I was talking to David about this later, and he was telling me how spiritually impoverished this guy was, in the sense that he had no resources. He, had, he knew nobody. He had nothing. He had no grounding. He had no Bible. He had no church experience. He had no support. He had no family. He had no body. He had nothing 
in the terms of all the things that God has given us to be able to get through a crisis where all they had were questions. But you know, David was able in that situation to come and to be the voice of reasonableness, the voice of grace, the voice of the proclamation of the Word of God. And not to take other stances that are apart from God, but just to minister the Word to the people and all the grace that comes from that. And it, it changed everything. It matters everything. What are we known as? Are we known as the neighbors that somebody could knock on our door and in the moment of their crisis, in the moment of their need, we're going to come before them with the reasonableness of the Word of God? Do they know they could count on us to tell them the truth? Do they know that they could count on us that in their, in their hurt, in their desperation, we will not just walk away from them? Because if you ask Siri, if you ask Alexa, if you ask Google what Christians do, you're going to find answers about people who walk away. You're going to find answers about people who are unreasonable. You're going to find answers about people in California who refuse to not sing and how ridiculous that is. You're not going to win trying to convince the world about Jesus' testimony. Only the very presence of Jesus is going to change anything. That's why Paul says here, don't be anxious about anything, but pray and let the peace of God come. Where does the peace come from? It's his own presence. We carry the presence of God because he's made us his ambassadors. He's called you in reasonableness to be an ambassador of Christ so that as you look at the good things, whatever's just and pure and lovely, whatever's commendable, where there's excellence, things that are worthy of praise, as you think about those things, how starkly different is that, that from what you find in Google? It's always negative, isn't it? And instead, we can be the voice of encouragement, the voice of life, the voice of resurrection, the voice of gospel, the voice of Jesus, to bring people to him because they will not find peace. They will not find peace without Jesus Christ. So what am I calling us to do? I'm calling us to do this. Let's reorient our eyes. And I'm saying that because the news cycle right now, the social media cycle, and the internet cycle is so filled of craziness talking about all kind of debates about everything that you need to pick a side. Have you felt that pressure? About everything. You need to pick a side about everything. You need to pick a side about whether or not to wear masks. And that division is not from God. It's not. It's not helping us. Now, if we want to talk about freedom and politics and all that stuff, sure, let's talk about it. But in this context of being an ambassador for Christ first, is that the reasonableness of God that we are displaying to win the world to him and bring his peace? And it's not. It's a tactic. It's a tactic to turn us off of the real mission to proclaim the gospel. Because people right now, right now, are almost like Paul in prison. Quarantined, isolated, away. And when they're isolated and away, and they're living their life through the internet, we all know the temptations of finding things that are not pure, that are not just, that are not commendable, that are not excellent, and filling our minds with those things. And then instead, we're fighting a losing battle whereby we're trying to proclaim the excellencies and grace of God. How can we change ourselves? The first thing that we do is we submit our minds to the Lord Jesus to not be anxious about all these things, but instead to seek him. We pray, we let the peace of God come over us, and then we start proclaiming with people we actually have interaction with and not fighting with internet trolls from Finland. 
but people are neighbors. Do our own neighbors know that we are the voice of reasonableness and godly speaking in our neighborhoods? And my bet is they don't. And that's not a condemnation against any of us. I'm telling you right now, I don't know all my neighbors. But that is a call for us to be the voice of God and not to be the voice of political institutions or be the voice of just being on the side of fighting about something. It doesn't help us because the debates that are going on right now are crazy. They're, and they're without end. You can find something to fight about all the time, all the time. Um, our economy is not great. People are addicted to all kinds of things. The quarantine is causing sinfulness to abound. And yet the people are believing, the people in the world that is, are believing that they're living their best life because that's what Siri tells them. That's what Alexa tells them. That's what Google tells them. It's not what the word of God tells them. Who will stand up for Jesus with the people we actually know? It's got to be us, right? It's got to be us. So what do we do? Change your mind. Think like Jesus. Pray. Read your Bible. Be the voice of reasonableness and the voice of grace with people you actually know in your sphere of influence that are physically near you. And break the tie of just doing everything on the internet. Because it's not going to help us in the long run. And then use the internet for all the good things that it can be. Amen? It can be good, right? I'm not against the internet. It's, it's a great tool. But we've got to come before God. If we do that, that helps change everything. Um, thinking about my brother David and that funeral and all the things, you know, those are some of the hardest times to say the right thing. Isn't it? Have you ever been in a, um, a hospital with a friend who's going through a hard, really hard time? Have you ever been in a funeral situation where you're in the parlor? You know, you can almost time on your watch how after a few nice words, eventually the cardinals will come up or the weather will come up or, you know, do you notice that construction they're doing on 40? Because people, it's awkward, isn't it? Isn't it awkward to sit in those moments? Don't be anxious about anything. But by prayer and petition, put your, submit your request before God and the peace of God will come over your own heart. He told us he would give us the words to say. As you start conversations with your neighbors and everybody else, if you feel the awkwardness, the awkwardness of it all, trust the Lord that his peace will come over you. Think about the fine things, all the excellencies of what he's done. Tell people about Jesus and what he's done. And you'll find the peace of God come over your hearts because he has given us peace, hasn't he? Praise the Lord. In this table that we're going to come to today, the Lord has proclaimed his peace. And he proclaimed his peace because he shed his own blood for us. This is a table of peace. It's a table of remembrance. It's a table of knowing the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come to it, we know that God himself has called us. He has saved us. And he is the one who is leading us and gives us his peace. It's his own presence. And we know that because the Lord gave up his own body his own blood, that we would be brought into communion with him. So as we come to this meal, let's remember Jesus. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't forgotten us. He is truly with us. Amen? If you take the top layer, if you don't have one of these little cups, they're on the little table right outside the door. And the very top layer is a cellophane thing, and there's a little wafer inside that tastes like cardboard. <laughs> but the Lord suffered for us, so we can remember. 
On the night he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread, he broke it. He said this was his body that was broken for us, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Let's remember that his body was broken for us, that we might be in communion with him. Let's partake of the bread together. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying that this was the cup of the new covenant in his blood, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Very carefully open that next layer. Let's take the cup together and remember Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you love us. And thank you, God, that you are the one who invented logic and wisdom. Lord, you gave us minds to think. Lord, you gave us hearts to pursue you. You gave us mouths that we could actually speak your prayers and, and come before you and seek you. And you said, Lord, that if we seek you, that you would be found. And so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, help us, Lord, not to be anxious about anything. But, Father, help us to come before you with real supplication, to make our requests known to you in relationship with you. And, Father, thank you that it's by your own presence that peace overshadows our hearts and comes over us even when we don't know what to say. And, Father, in those moments that we don't know what to say, I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would give us opportunity to let our reasonableness be shown to people. Father, help us, God, knowing that you are our hope, you are our peace, you are our joy. Lord, help us that we can demonstrate that same love to other people as we proclaim your gospel and make disciples according to your word. Give us opportunity, Lord, and help us in the awkwardness of it that we would present our requests to you and not being anxious, but instead finding your peace, we would know you in your presence. Lord, we ask you for a harvest of righteousness in all that you have done. And Father, help us to have clear thinking, to not get distracted by the frivolous things, but Lord, to know instead what are the points up to which we can go and go no further. Help us, Lord, to know how to stand on your word, that we would do only what you called us to do and be a blessing to you and a blessing to your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.